are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Oh. <clears throat> Last uh, Sunday, I was um, talking to Pastor Rick. He said, okay, let me know a little bit about this technology, because uh, I knew that there was this big screen down here on the floor that only he gets to see. And, uh, and it had uh, some numbers and some timing, and they hit it, and they just hit it a few seconds ago. Uh, they gave me 25 minutes, and I said, Pastor Rick, what does that mean? And he said, absolutely nothing. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, but it'll hopefully keep me uh, on course uh, during this uh, time where we open the Word up uh, today. Uh, let's pray. Father... Uh, I just ask you to um, be with me as I open the word. Uh, Really, if you're not here and your spirit is not powerfully alive in this place, it is a royal waste of time. Uh, But when your spirit is here, it is um, helping us. It is embracing us. It is teaching us. It is changing us. It is transforming us. Your word is alive. And the message that, um, that I need to receive and the people here need to receive, I, I, I think it's done best and so well when your spirit talks to our hearts and minds. And so I invite you to be with us in this room. Now, the rest of us have to stay a safe distance away of six feet, but I want you just to snuggle up close right next to us. And I want you to wrap your arms around us. And I want you um, to say, I'm here. I'm right here with you no matter what you're going through. Uh, There's there's some people that are having some, some really struggles right now. And you're with them. And I pray that if they're here in this room, that they would understand that you're faithful. And God, when we have any kind of need, we can talk to you. We can just uh, share our hearts with you. We don't have to come up with the fancy words or figure out what maybe you want us to say to get what we need. You just say, come and talk to me and tell me what you're thinking what you're feeling, and I will give you direction and wisdom and love. And so uh, when we end today with this service, help us to go out as uh, your children that are so loved greatly that it changes. It changes the way we live. And I thank you for your faithfulness. Amen. My first car, I was 16, and I saved up money, $200, <clears throat> saved up $200, and uh, my dad knew uh, a guy he worked with that had a 53 Mercury, and he was selling it for $200. Now, that was worth at least $300 today, you know, so uh, I bought my new Mercury, uh, a 53 Mercury, not a new Mercury, but my new car. And uh, I began driving that. And, uh, and I remember I had a pattern. I would go and fill it up with gas, which would cost me $4. And then I would put two quarts of oil. 
and in it every time I filled up. It did have a tendency to burn a little bit of oil. And there was a dipstick that I got real familiar with, you know. And when, when, when I didn't see anything on the dipstick, I knew it was time to put some more oil in it. And, uh, but that dipstick was the indicator of low oil. What, what are some of the things that you measure that you need a dipstick for? Maybe it's uh, your blood pressure. Maybe you take your blood pressure uh, every day. Maybe you take your temperature. Uh, maybe you check your iPhone to see how much uh, power is uh, in the battery. And you measure different things. What if we had a dipstick that measured our faith? What would it indicate today? What if you put the dipstick in and you pulled it out? What, how much faith would be on the bottom of that dipstick? I had conversations the last two weeks. I probably have about um, 200 phone conversations uh, every week. I probably have twice that as far as texting conversations. But let me just kind of share a few people uh, that I consider living a life of faith and what those phone conversations uh, included. I remember the phone conversation. Hey, Lou, I got the job, and it fits me just perfect. I mean, it literally uses my past experience, and, and I love it. I love my new job. And I remember that particular uh, phone conversation. Another one I remember is just about four days ago. And it was a wife saying, I just dropped my husband with COVID off at the ER. And I tell you, Lewis, I'm more scared today than I ever have been in my entire life. Another conversation. Hey, Lou, we just finished up. We had a grand group of volunteers here at BFC, and, and they um, gathered here in the atrium, and we boxed up meals for 220 families in our community. And I just feel like uh, BFC is doing what God would want us to do. And we talked about that. Another conversation. Hey, Lou. One of my best friends was walking across the street on 23rd. 23rd in Rockwell. And got hit by a car and was killed just a few moments ago. We got to pray together. Um, got a call from someone that was in a rehab. Hey, Lou, Lou, I, I am so bored in this rehab. I haven't got to be with my family in weeks. And, uh, and I, I am almost getting depressed. I need out of here. Can you break me out? And I said, I don't think I can do that, but, uh, but I'll pray for you. Another phone, uh, really, it was at, at a restaurant. Uh, Smitty was saying, hey, hey, Lou, I'm engaged. I am engaged to a wonderful Christian young woman. And you know, Lou, she's beautiful, too. And I said, I totally, totally agree. Phone conversations with people of faith, living out their faith, some at times of great blessing and some at times of great trial. But they're on the journey. They're on the walk. And it seems like maybe sometimes our faith is a little bit weak. 
And other times it seems like maybe our faith is extremely strong. We're going to be talking today from a scripture, a passage of scripture that talks about our walk of faith, our life of faith, and how we can embrace this. Maybe every once in a while take the dipstick and check how good our faith is. But I, I, I think today as we approach 2021, let's do an evaluation of our life of faith. And there's a scripture, and it's in Hebrews. Hebrews uh, chapter 12, and uh, starts with verse 1. Now, preceding this, in, in, in chapter 11, uh, they've been talking um, about all these saints, these people of faith, going back in the Old Testament 4,000 years ago, this person, this person, this person, this person. And they weren't perfect. I mean, there was murderers listed here. There was prostitutes listed here. There was, there was cheaters and liars. There was all sorts of people listed. But eventually, because of their faith, they had a reputation of living by faith, trusting God with their life. So that's preceding what we're getting ready to read right now. Now, after this part we're reading, it talks about God's love. And he loves us so much that he directs us and corrects us and disciplines us. So I think you might need to read both those chapters when we get through with the sermon today. It says, therefore, and you know, we don't even know who wrote this. Um, uh, we don't even know the author. They think it's someone that was really closely tied to the apostles. And they're probably writing to someone that has uh, the faith of the Jews because of all the things that were listed in this, in this passage. So, but therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. The life of faith. What, what, what in the world does that mean, Lewis? The life of faith. Well, one interesting thing, Timothy Keller, he, he, was, he was saying that the strength of our faith does not save us. It's the object of our faith that saves us. So that should tell us a little bit. Also, it says that faith is saying... It's wrapped up the hope that we can't even see. And in this particular case, he's, he's talking about the life of faith. It's maybe that, that, that passage of time. That passage of time while we're still waiting, trusting in God to show up and be faithful. So this life of faith is following Jesus. We're literally following Jesus and trusting Jesus. That in my mind, is the simple description of the life of faith. Following Jesus, trusting Jesus. He says, um, so such a huge crowd of witnesses are surrounding us to this life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. So we're, we're talking about being in a race. And then it goes on and says, and let us run with endurance. The race God has set before us. We do this. So how do we do it? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects. These last words are amazingly profound. Who initiates and perfects our faith. Initiates and perfects our faith. Uh, the, the very first part of that scripture talks about we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And they mentioned about 20 of the old saints. 
Maybe you have witnesses in your life more than the stories in the Bible. For me, as I think about some of the people that were witnesses of faith, I first of all talk about my, my mother and father who uh, had challenges and struggles and victories. And they demonstrated before my very eyes how, how do you live this life trusting in God, following God, even when you don't see him moving at the time. Unbelievable witnesses to me of a life of faith. Some other people. I remember um, Glafrey Gilliland, my college pastor. Norm Shoemaker, my high school pastor. These, these are men and women that, that are just gigantic, that just lived their faith out, and then I could watch, and they were witnesses of the faithfulness of God. I remember, um, I remember a guy named Jody, the shoeshine boy here in Bethany for about 20 years before he passed away, special needs guy. And, and I remember just uh, daily his simple walk of faith. I remember um, people like um, Allie Adams. This is Doug and Marsha's daughter. And uh, real recently, when the family was having a discussion about um, the, the, the COVID epidemic, she gave some very profound instructions to her family and to us today when we're facing any kind of struggles. This is what Allie said. The most important thing is not to freak out. And so when I see Allie up in the office... I look there and say, you know, she knows something that God's told her that maybe the rest of us haven't heard. She, as a young woman, uh, living a life of faith. So one of the things that I would suggest all of us to do is that when we encounter challenges, when, we cha when we're tired, when we're worn out, and maybe our faith doesn't feel quite as strong as normal, Reflect on those that are witnesses of faith, that are living their lives out. Um, one particular person that pops into my mind that was from way, way back is a guy named George Mueller. And uh, the other day, I was, um, I was frustrated. Some things as here at the church, we were trying to get them to work out, and it seemed like every path we took, we ran into a wall, and just things weren't working out. And, and to tell you the truth, I was extremely frustrated. I was extremely to the point of giving up. Uh, I said, oh, I just can't believe nothing is working here that we're trying to plan. And, um, and God said, you know, you're preaching this sermon. Why don't you practice this, um, this sermon? Why don't you read about some witnesses that have gone before you? So I Google George Mueller. George Mueller, he started some um, orphanages in England. And one of the unique things about George and his wife is that they didn't, they didn't ask any people for money. They only prayed to God, and God did the asking and providing. And so I was reading this story about what happened one day when uh, George's wife uh, literally was, was uh, looking at the, the cupboard and said, We have nothing for the orphans to drink. We have 100 orphans, and we have nothing for them to drink in the morning. And so she and her husband sat there, okay, let's pray. Let's go to God. And they begin to pray. 
And within an hour, two people showed up on the door and gave them money. And they had plenty of food the next day for the orphans. And I read that story, and all of a sudden, the witness of someone that's long gone empowered me to see the situation at the church totally different. So when, when, when you're facing something that just seems so discouraging, why don't you think about a witness in your own life that encourages you? Bob Miller is the name that pops in my head. About two years ago, we were praying that God would open up doors allowing them to go to New Zealand, and it looked like it wasn't going to happen. There was no way that he and his wife would go get to be able to serve God over in New Zealand. And so we gathered at the coffee shop and we began to pray. And literally, not early, you know, it didn't happen early. Uh, God just, he, I think he just likes to do it in the right time. And at the last moment, all the doors opened and they got to go to New Zealand. And so every time I get a little discouraged, I, I, I just get on um, Marco Polo and I send Bob a message. And we exchanged communications from New Zealand. And, and all of a sudden, I'm encouraged by this witness, my personal witness that I have with a person who's choosing to follow and trust God even when he doesn't see God moving. God is acting. So, first of all, examine the witnesses around you. The second thing I think this scripture is talking about is run light. Run light. Do you, do you see, I, I have two bicycles up here. This bicycle over here, I'm getting ready to move over toward. This is a, a garage sale special that my dad bought. And um, it weighs 35 pounds and costs 35 pounds, $35. Uh, it's a pretty heavy bicycle. And over on the other side is another bicycle. And it weighs 17 pounds. And I took both of these bikes out to Lake Overholster and had my son, Sweet C. McLean, to, uh, to time me. And uh, on a long run, I, I timed myself. I averaged 9 miles an hour on this bicycle. 35 pound, big seat, big tires. You know, the ones that you kind of think, oh, that's, that's the kind that's more comfortable. But I averaged nine, 9 miles an hour. Over here is a bicycle I borrowed from a friend that probably cost twice as much as my truck. And uh, it weighs 17 pounds. It's really, really nice. And I rode it. And I averaged the same trek that I did the other bike. I averaged 17 miles an hour. And so if you, if you ride a race of 100 miles, uh, it's going to take me 11 hours to finish the 100 miles and hopefully I would still be alive at the end of the 11 hours. I would be totally exhausted. I would already have the, the uh, IMSA truck waiting at the finish line if I rode that bike 100 miles. This bike over here, I would ride the 100 miles in a little bit less than six, six hours. And when I would get through, I would probably feel pretty close to the same as I started. It is so light. It is amazing how much easier the, the race is and the ride is on a light bike. This illustration is saying we have been given a race by God. The race is not our race. It's God's race that he has given us. And he says when you run this race, run it light. 
Um, I want you to enjoy the journey as you go. Don't, don't wear yourself out, almost kill it. I, I want, I've planned your life out, and I want you to run the race light. Let me give you some examples. I'm married good. My wife, Rita, and I have been married about 42 years. I, I have not, my eyes are getting bad, so I don't even know where she's sitting out there. But uh, 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 I'm married very, very, very good. And one of the things that I've noticed in the 42 years, I, I think that all marriages have to work on things. All, all people have to change. I mean, you know, marriages work. There's, there's some work to it. But as I look at my life, as I look at my ministry, as I look at every day, when I come home, my life is light. Uh, she doesn't... She doesn't, when it comes to my ministry, she doesn't put on a weight. She doesn't make that, that ministry hard. She does just the opposite. She supports it. She prays for it. She encourages it. She, she really pushes me to do all that God is asking me to do. And because of that, my relationship to her, God has used her to make my, my load light. Now, I'm not saying if you marry the wrong person, then you need to, you know, skip out and get somebody else. But I think what it's saying is, is that work on the relationship where both of you allow the other person to pursue what God has given them to pursue, to run their race. And, and my job is to make it light for Rita to do everything that God has asked her to do. My job is not to block her. My job is to make her life very, very light. Sometimes life gets busy. Sometimes life gets full of temptation and sin. And it says those things entangle us and keep us from running the race that we were made to run, that you were made to run. It blocks you from having the freedom and the peace and the joy in this life of faith. Sometimes it's stuff. You know, just stuff. You buy a house. And eventually it needs to be repainted. Or the faucets need to be replaced. Or the carpet needs to be replaced. There's, there's just stuff. And, and there's nothing wrong with the house. But remember, stuff demands your time. You buy a car. Eventually it needs to be repaired. Now, see, in my old car, you buy a new car, you don't need faith to drive a new car. You know, buy something about 150,000 miles. Then you can develop your faith, your faith muscles. But stuff eventually needs to be repaired. Stuff eventually demands our time. I've got a trampoline for the grandkids. And, and about every month now, I've got to go out and retighten the bolts. And I've got to replace different parts. And I've got to wash this and fix this and make sure they don't fall through the net and break this and replace that. It's a thing. And there's nothing wrong with things. But when things eventually demand my time and my attention, they become a weight in the race. When the main focus, and there's nothing wrong with things, but the main focus over here is all the commandments wrapped up in two things, love God and love people. The main thing in the race is relationships. The main thing in the journey is relationships. So sometimes we have to make some choices. Maybe I don't need that thing. 
Maybe that's just an extra weight that's deterring me from running the race. Endure. Endure is the next. It's the third point. We need to learn to endure. You see this letter jacket over here? It has a lot of memories to me. I was in high school, junior year, and wanted a letter jacket. I wanted, and, and the way I was going to try to earn this letter jacket is to track. I ran the two-mile. And, uh, and so I was in quite a few track meets. And I would, I would usually finish in the top 25%, but I never could get in that first, second, or third place. I, just, I was just maybe like an A-minus or B-plus runner, you know. And it came down to the very last race. It was the conference race. And uh, there was about 35 runners in it. And I knew that there was about 10 runners that were faster than me. And I had to, I had to somehow figure out how to um, get faster than all but two of them. And so the gun went off. And you're, you're kind of, when you're in the two mile, you're all kind of crunched in there. It's about 30. You're not lined up in lanes. You just, they, they hit the gun and you're, you know, everyone for themselves. And so we're running and I'm thinking in my mind, I've got to be in, I've got to be in third place to get this. And so we start running. And uh, uh, about halfway through the race, four laps, I'm in 10th place. And I, I'm hearing my legs and lungs starting to say things like, don't do this. This hurts. <laughs> and so I said, maybe I need to slow down. But I said, no, I've got to run faster than I ever have before. And so I, I pick up the pace. And I get down to the last two laps, and I've miraculously got to fifth place, and a lot of people right on my tail behind me. And I said, I've got to get through the next two, or I'm, I'm not going to be in third place. So I'm running and running, I'm enduring, I'm enduring. Keep up, keep up, don't quit, don't quit. You, you, your legs hurt, your lungs hurt, I know that, but just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And, and in that last lap, I see... Uh, one of the guys in front of me, good runner, very good runner, all of a sudden starts limping over to the side, and he's got a cramp in his legs. He's out. He's out. Now, I'm in fourth place, you know, so I keep on running, keep on running. And I look up there, and another good runner, all of a sudden his knees, he's kind of gone off to the side of the track, and his knees, he has his hands on his knees, and he's throwing up, you know. And I said, I think he's done for the day. And if I just endure, I'm in third place. If I can just keep the people behind me from passing, I, I, I've got this. I, I got third place. I can get a leather jacket, you know. And, uh, but I said, these guys have a good kick at the end. So I've got to do something, a strange strategy. So with one lap to go, 440 yards to go, I start sprinting. And that's dangerous because you might not have anything at the end when you do that. I started sprinting as fast as I could. And I get through a two, 220 uh, yards, and I turn around, and look, and the people behind me have given up. They've stopped. And so the adrenaline kind of pushed me through that last 200 yards, and I got my letter jacket. And every time I wear that letter jacket, I think of endurance. Sometimes you have to run with endurance. Sometimes when it's hard and difficult, these last two years with my mother and father and all the physical challenges and them living in our house and needing then to go to memory care and this and rehab. and There's been a couple of times I just said, you know, my life's over. And God said, no, your life's not over until I say it's over. Keep running, Lewis. Keep running. And so I, I did what I knew to do. I did what I knew to do and kept running. 
And God was faithful. Time after time after time, even in the difficult times, God was faithful. And you have to endure in this step of faith. The last two points, and I'm seeing that my time's about out. Focus on the champ. Focus on the champ. Jesus has already been through this journey. He's already been through temptation. He's already been through difficult people. He's already been through challenges. He's already been through, okay, what do you determine what to do today in 24 hours? What's important? What do I say yes to? What do I say no to? The champ's already been there. When I'm playing tennis, it's always better to play someone good even better than me because I imitate their strokes and I get better. My game is improved. When you're looking at Jesus, the champ, you get better. If the focus is not on your problem but on his promises, you get better. Jesus is the focus of our attention. Jesus, the champ, of faith. The last thing, respond to the initiator and the perfecter. The initiator and the perfecter. When, when you're little and you get in a fight, what does your mother say? Who started this? You know? Who started this fight? They're going to get the worst punishment. And so you, you, you try not to be the one that started it. You, um, I've been talking to a lot of my senior adults, and they've been married 60 years. And one of the interesting questions to ask them is that, okay, who pursued who? Who went after who? And they sometimes disagree. Oh, he chased me down, you know, until uh, I finally gave in. Or, oh, no, 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 no. She happened to be in all the places that I went. And she just made herself right there. I couldn't help. I couldn't help but see her. Who initiated the relationship? Who initiated faith? God's love. God pursued us first. I remember in the second grade feeling the Spirit of God calling at my heart, and I responded by saying yes to that and began in the, in the best way I knew as a second grader how to follow and trust God. And that's been a wonderful journey. You know God in your life. He initiated it. He's the one that went after you. He loves you. He loves you and he went after you. And then he said, I'm not done with that. I'm going to perfect you. I'm going to not make you a perfect person, but I'm going to perfect your faith. I'm going to give you every opportunity you need to learn to trust me. And I will be faithful. Um... One of the uh, musicians, please come on up uh, at this time. I don't know where you are in your faith journey. Maybe you've been on this journey for many, many years. But maybe you needed some encouragement. Maybe you needed to say, you know, I need to revisit this. I need to take the dipstick, check out how good my faith is. And maybe in 2021, this is something that I want to see a little stronger, a little fuller. Maybe some of you have never initially responded to the wonderful love of God. And you might not know a whole lot about this faith journey.
but you know there's a spirit calling you. Wouldn't it be great for you to say on this day, I don't know what it all means, but I think I should say yes to the initiation that God's calling me. I'm going to turn around. And the best I know how to do, I'm going to follow him and I'm going to trust him. I hope that you decide to do that. Winston Churchill told the British in World War II, never give in, never give in, never, 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 never. Our aim in 2021 is to run the race God has personally set before us. Commenced by the searching love of the Father. A race of purpose, kindness, redemption, reconciliation, and hope. The kingdom is a kingdom of serving and grace. A life of healing and help and joy. Faced with the enemy of lies and destruction, we do not give in or give up. We gladly persevere with determination, fixing our eyes, fixing our eyes on the champion Jesus, who has already won the victory and secured the outcome. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up on the love of God pursuing us and the faith that it brings. Never, 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 never. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.